Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What, what was the, the method into saying, let me find strategic partners to help me with this brand blow? I think we went from like three or four million dollars a year to like to like 12 to like 22 to like 30 to, to, to the 40s. And now, you know, last year was like 58. Ha <laughs> my God. Beautiful day in Let's LA, go. my bro. Every day is beautiful to be here, man. What's up, brother? Good to see you, my bro. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Yes, sir, man. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, it's been... long overdue, man. You know I've been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> that was in album mode last time you guys hit me. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No time like the present. You know, look, it's 24 hours in a day. I work about 19. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. Burner, what's up, my brother? Guys, how you guys doing? Good, man. Bless, man. Living legend. <laughs> it feels good to be alive right now. I can't lie. It's a good time. Good time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. for sure. First off, congratulations on the Forbes cover. That's big. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, people ask you in life, could you ever have dreamt that? Nah. Who does, right? <laughs> I mean, one thing to dream being on the cover of Forbes, another thing to dream being on the cover of Forbes for selling weed. Mm. Two totally different things, you know, yeah. so. I, I still can't believe it. It's a good look. Um, it's a big statement and where the world's going right now. It's a big statement a statement and a step for minorities as well, you mm -hmm. know? So we got a lot of questions about the business side of cannabis, marijuana, but let's bring it back to the beginning. I know you're from the Bay. Yeah. San Francisco to be exact, right? Mm-hmm. How did you start in this game of legal marijuana and uh, what was the first steps that you, you know, took to build where you are now, which is an empire? You know, on the legal side, um, growing up in the city, you'd, you'd go by and you'd see these stores with the green crosses and you'd smell it and you'd see people coming out with bags and eventually, you'd, you know, you'd meet someone on the street that'd say, hey, I can go in the cannabis club and get you a brownie and get you a, get you a plant to grow, go, go grow at your house or get you some herb. And I was so obsessed with it because you know, at that time I was going back and forth to Arizona with my mother and my father was staying in SF. We were supposed to move to Arizona and it didn't quite work out that way. And so I would see the major difference and when I go visit Arizona, it'd be completely looked at like it was hair on, you know, and then <laughs> you go back to the Bay and you see these stores and people are coming out so happy and the smell and the vibe. I'm like, I, I got to figure out how to be involved in this. So the day I turned 18, that was my mission. I, I got my cannabis card and I went to a cannabis club to actually try to film a documentary on it. I was so obsessed with it. And I would go there after my day job and I would bring my camera and I'd buy some weed and you were allowed to sit there and smoke. And I would sit there and smoke and interview people. And one day the lady just said, you wanna work here. So let's get you hired and take off that silly outfit. I was working at Tully's Coffee at the time, selling weed out of Tully's Coffee. And um, I was doing some, uh, uh, waiting and, and bar backing at a restaurant at the time. So she hired me and from there I just climbed up the ladder and uh, just followed my dreams. But it really, what really intrigued me about the cannabis space was how happy people were coming out those buildings as a kid. I was like, man, look at this shit. This shit's amazing, you know? Like, it's really just caught my eye for some reason. Yeah, so you made a very unique decision because a lot of people hear the recreational side of uh, marijuana, but you went with the medicinal side. What, did you? have a conscious decision saying that I wanted to go into the medical as opposed to the other side? You know, at the time it was like, at the time, you know, I was already selling weed since I've been like 14, 13, 14, 15-ish, right? And so, you know, the medical side was really interesting to me. I was always obsessed with, you know, the different, different bags coming out of there. And so that was what was available. There was no recreational at that time. It was mm -hmm. just medical. It was Proposition 215. The Bay Area, San Francisco was actually the place to kick that off. Um, a guy named Dennis Perone actually put that law in effect uh, with a bunch of other people. And so I was just riding the wave with it. And uh, I'm glad I did because it taught me a lot about how much of a medicine weed really is. Like while I was there, I'm dealing with AIDS patients. I'm dealing with off-duty police with PS PTSD. You're dealing with ex-military. You're dealing with cancer patients. You're dealing with people with just major anxiety. And I really realized that this is a big part of people's day that's actually really helping people, especially when veterans would come from the VA 
and that this would be their break for the day to go leave the VA and come sit with me and talk about life and smoke. I realized that it wasn't just the weed, it was the environment that we created because I'm having conversations with people I would have never talked to in a million years if it wasn't for that herb. Mm. So, I mean, that, that's pretty big. So you, you got that point. And inside of the space where you're working, you got a lot of roles. Yeah. So you said you were, the term was bud tender, which is cool, but you also were a buyer, which is unique. What, what, was the, what were the responsibilities as a buyer? Man, that was, uh, I still can't believe that was put in my hands at such a young age. <laughs> Um, but, you know, picture this, you're a young kid, you're obsessed with the bud, and you got a safe full of cash, and your job is to decide what the store is going to purchase and for whatever price you want to purchase at that. That's a lot of power to give someone at 19 years old, you know. So you got vendors coming from all over the state with duffel bags of different kind of flour and hash and edibles and whatnot, and your job as a buyer is to pick the best quality flour, best quality product, and you know, to decide the price and to keep yourself stocked. And so I learned at a very young age about a lot of things, you know, a lot of uh, relationships were built. I had a lot of power at 19 years old and it was crazy. It was absolutely, I can't even like, I'm trying to go back to that moment of where my head was at and I don't even know where my head was at, but it was really, it was really cool as far as like where I'm at today and the experience I have, you know, it's almost been 20 years. I was doing that at 19. Yeah. Are, you, you know? are you trying the strands as they come in and saying, all right, this is how oh, much yeah, it nah. The way it would work, someone would come in, they bust open a, a, a turkey bag, pull it out, smell it, roll it up, smoke it, you know. All right, brother, you, you want 3600 for this? All right. You drove all the way up from, all right, cool. Well, I got, you know, I got, I got 31 for you, and I'll take all four, you know. And, and so negotiating, but based on, based on quality. So... And it's hard. So you got a really cool person. And they're so man. I grew this with this or that. I did, and you're smoking, and you're like, it's not it. <laughs> it takes a lot of discipline to, to say that to someone's face. You know, especially they're trying to incentivize you. I'll, I'll kick you down. I got you on this. I got, it's not about that. It's about the shelf. So, you know, had to have, you had to be pretty disciplined and and you know what you're going to grab because if it doesn't sell, it's on you. Mm. You know. So so cookies brand name at this point, but um, the original name was Girl Scout Cookies. That was the original name when the strain was brought to me. You know, he's like, this that Girl Scout cookies. And I just knew right off the rip. I'm like, all right, well, that probably wouldn't work if we wanted to blow this up. So we just nicknamed it Cookies. And that's how I kind of built the brand off, off the cookies. I kind of left the Girl Scout out because that obviously would probably be a big problem. <laughs> Cease and desist. Yeah. So, so at what, what, what time frame was that when you started Cookies? You know, I want to say it's like, 2000 and uh, 2007, eight ish, around that time. So it was early. Yeah. So that that was your first time actually stepping out on your own outside of. Yeah. So you know the way it kind of worked is pretty interesting because you know I was rapping the whole time, and um, I would say like around 2009, people just thought that I owned that dispensary I was working at. There was no way that Burner was just an employee here, but I loved it so much. Like, I loved my job. I loved the people. I loved what it represented. And so I just kind of stayed there, you know. And at that time, people were like, you know, this guy's the owner. And then opportunities to kind of start presenting himself. And that's right around the time the cookies really started blowing up. So it just made sense to kind of go off on my own and really just kind of follow my own destiny. And the one thing I really realized at that time, too, there was no actual real brands of cannabis. It was still the same thing. Someone bringing a turkey bag, they'd have a name for it, but it'd be up to us to create signage for it. These are the days that you just take the bud and put it in a plastic bag with a sticker and write the name on it. So I was like, you know, all right, people think I own this. The music's starting to blow up a little bit. I started, started getting around whizzing them. And um, I think there's really a need for a brand in cannabis. I just knew in the back of my head, anyone that actually had a colorway, uh, a logo and an identity like the Circle C bite, would probably be the one to win if they came out with it and they executed right. And that's when I kind of stepped away and, and told the owner, like, I love you to death and I appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to go and kind of figure this out and try to build try to build something a little bigger. Yeah, so you had two passions at the same time, right? You're building a brand, but you had the music too. Yeah. And so how are you managing both, right? Because it's like, I'm trying to build this billion-dollar company, but I have this passion for music. Or was did you look at one is going to finance the other or... How, how did you manage that? Nah, each one helped each other. So the weed made the music poppin'. The music was a megaphone to get shit poppin'. It was like probably the combination of like the internet, the weed, and the music was 
the recipe behind Cookie's success. Like, if you remember the old school smokeathons back in the days with Jordan Towers, that was, the, you know, one of the guys on World Star Hip Hop showing what it looked like in the dispensary, mm -hmm. you know, and so the internet uh, kind of helped catapult the music and kind of helped catapult. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. The, pot, the brand and, and the herb and the herb kind of made the music make sense. It all worked for each other. So the way I always looked at it was like music's like therapy to me. I love it. I got a great ear. I'm a great A&R. And, um, and it really just helped the momentum for that, for that herb because I'd be in them studios and run into people. Yeah. And I'd give them something they'd never seen before. And naturally, they'd go speak about it. It wouldn't be like a... Today, you see every brand going to someone with a bag, like, here, here's a pound, go rap about it. Now, here's two grams of some shit you probably won't see again for a while. Enjoy. And they had to know me. They wanted to get my phone number. They wanted more. They wanted to stay in contact. They never tasted it. And that's how it naturally started ending up in music was just I would be in them studios blessing people with it. Is that how your relationship developed with Wiz? Wiz came by the store. Okay. Yeah, he came by the store. Uh, Mr. Fab called me. Shout out to Mr. Fab. Big legend. Yeah, he gave me a buzz. He said, yo, Wiz Khalifa's in town. He wants to stop by the store. I said, okay. Um, and he came through, and we just caught a vibe, and that's that's how we met. So the first store was in the Bay, right? Yeah, San Francisco. San yeah. Francisco. Yeah. You you got the store. You, you're rapping. I want to talk about the marketing, because the marketing is very, very key to the story, I think. So you integrate it with music and you know rappers and the culture. Was that done intentionally, or that just was a lifestyle that you was living, so it was just natural? It was well, it was natural. That's what was happening. You know, I was naturally rapping. I was naturally trapping. and naturally <laughs> had a bag that no one's ever seen before, mm -hmm. and that was followed by many other bags that no one's ever seen before, and the combination of that music and, and, and just that bag and that internet just was a motherfucker because if you remember back in the days, it was not just Wiz. You know, I'd link up with Currency. I'd link up with, you know, all the homies from the East Coast, uh, Shice Bubs and, and Smoke Dizza and, and the homies and it just it just started spreading. The internet was really my best friend. Shout out to Instagram. Even though Instagram's <laughs> funny right now yeah. and we miss old Instagram, I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for Instagram, to be honest with you. Yeah. So they just start championing it and then the buzz just starts built. What's the first store outside of the bay? Um, the first store outside of the bay was I think it was Detroit. Oh, so it wasn't LA. No, no, I'm wrong. You're right. That's that's that weed with my. <laughs> it was it was the Bay Area. Then it was um, it was Maywood in uh, by downtown LA. It was okay. Maywood, Melrose. But the first store outside of Cali was Detroit. Was Detroit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the the actual brand itself, Cookies. There's another side to it, and maybe this is the origin. It right before you were actually selling weed, it was merchandise. I call it the hood patent. <laughs> so you can't patent a name on herb. Right, like it's, it's still federally illegal, right? Mm -hmm. So the merchandise, the, the actual streetwear brand was, I was motivated by Diamond, Diamond Supply. Diamond Supply. Yeah, they, yep. were out, they were out of the city. I watched what Nick did. I was motivated by uh, the hundreds and stuff like that. And so I wanted to take my shot at a streetwear brand. And that was actually the way that I was able to trademark cookies. That was the way I was able to get real bankable revenue. You know, because without that revenue, I couldn't have bought my homes. I couldn't have done things. You can't bank cannabis money. So it was a really good way to um, to to kind of solidify the name and get all the trademarks we needed for that brand name and the identity, which was, I don't know, someone upstairs told me to do it. I'm, I'm glad we did. That's That solidified a lot for us. But it was also a huge billboard. I mean, people would walk around. You, ever, you guys ever seen that movie? Um, What's the name of that movie? With Tyler Dearden, uh, Fight Club. Yeah. It's kind of like if you know, you know type thing. People walk around with the cookie shop. Oh, yeah, I see. You know, what's up? Where's it at? Society. It really connected a lot of people. And so the clothing line was a huge, a huge, played a huge role in our marketing for sure. Yeah. So you, you, you gross uh, revenue from the start. Um, but at some point you realized, hey, I can't do this by myself. What, what was the, the method into saying, let me find strategic partners to help me with this brand blow? Because obviously you had the marijuana, but... This merchandise thing is making some money. I'm glad you asked that because people don't really ask that. So a lot of people are interested in getting a partner in, in Cookies Clothing. People came to me with checks and stuff like that. But the thing I did that was different than everyone else was I partnered with the guy making everything for Diamond Supply 
uh, making everything for Benny Gold, making everything for Chocolate, the skateboard company. I partnered with the suppliers that were doing all the accessories. So from overnight, I went from printables to backpacks to wallets, beanies, belts, um, the whole the whole nine yard. They were able to take my ideas for the rolling trays and the stackable jars and get them made. And we were able to make things and get samples from China. And if it looked great on Instagram, we'd produce it. And if people didn't react to it, we didn't produce it. So I partnered with my partners. But the next step that really, really, really took cookies to the next level that got us up in the millions and millions of dollars was I, uh, I, I met a guy named Brian Wilson. And he was a huge sales, uh, sales rep for LRG and Stance and Staple. And I said, come over here and rock with us. Put us in some doors because we're hot right now. We got, we got, we got it. But let's take this to another level. And we partnered and that out of here. I think we went from like, you know, three or four million dollars a year to like, to like twelve to like twenty-two to like thirty to, to to the forties. And now you know, last year was like fifty-eight. From the merchandise side. Yeah, from the clothing. So what 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 did he provide that was able to? Just skyrocketed the situation. He had the knowledge of how to go get this this clothing line into really nice boutiques around the country, and then into major doors. So I think we're in over a thousand doors, and so it's one thing to have direct to consumer, which we we do really good at. It's another thing to have a flagship store, but it's another thing if you're in Boston, you go to a fly boutique to go do some clothes shopping to have cookies sitting right there next to the other brands. That's what solidifies. You know, I like to say we're a streetwear brand, we're a clothing line, not really merch, because merch is more based on like, you know, the artists themselves. It's kind of like something that you just kind of grab. It's a real full-on clothing brand. You know, we have every season we have a new collection, we have cut and sew. We did it right. So how, how did that partnership work? Was it, uh, hey, we can offer you a salary or we can give you payment or was, was equity a part of it? I hit him with a brown bag and some equity. <laughs> I hit him Back I to said, the brown bag. Yeah, because he had a situation that was doing really well for him. He said, Burn, like, I believe in the brand and I want to do this, but I'm already over here. Like, there's no guarantee that we go here. I said, you're right. But, you know, in life, you got to take a risk. So how about I give you some skin in the game and I'll give you this right now. And if you hit these numbers, you get up to here. And that's for you to make a decision today. And he was like, I'm in, I'm rocking with you. So, so is it an incentivized equity play? Yeah, so he got a little equity in the beginning, mm-hmm. and as he hit certain milestones, he got, you know, he got to what I wanted him to get to, <laughs> and I was cool with that because if he hit them numbers, I'm winning too, you know. Right. Um, but it, I think that not only that knowledge of, you know, the sales for Cookies Clothing, but the knowledge of the clothing game in general, as far as like trends and where fashion's going. When you do cut and sew, you're doing that a year out. So like what we're designing now will come out next year at this time. So take someone with that knowledge of fashion. So shout out to the homie, Brian. So you said something um, that I want to go back to as far as marijuana is still illegal federally, mm-hmm. even though it is legal in a lot of different states. So banking is an issue. And, but more and more like, you know, credit unions and different banks, are, but a lot of times you can't actually put money in banks and you can't get loans and different things of that nature. No. It causes issues. Um, especially security issues. Talk about that because that's that's important as far as that that's a whole conversation within itself. Like talk about that, how you've been able to navigate that. Shit, that's that's very stressful. Um, we've got that figured out now. Thankful, um, but there was times, man, where we had to do. I could talk about it now because we ain't doing it anymore. Obviously, we we you hit on the nail credit unions are actually really flexible and. There are certain banks that will bank cannabis now if you're at a certain level. And uh, But, man, there was times, bro, where I'd have to go to, like, random locations and armored trucks would come pick up cash, and it'd be super sketchy. And I remember a picture my friend sent me. I was like, you're the real-life Marty Bird, dude. This fool's in the room. <laughs> and it was just cash. She got two square white dudes counting this cash. I said, man, this, this don't even feel right. Man, y'all got someone over there with y'all? And so... To navigate through that kind of lifestyle was pretty tough and it was challenging, but certain credit unions stepped up and made life a little easier and certain armored truck companies would step up and make, you know, do the transportation of it. But I ain't gonna lie to you, we had to get super creative. I mean, there was a time where I rented out a building in San Francisco, California on the main street and, you know, there was an underground access and man, I'm so glad nothing ever happened there, man. I just promised to God, man, like 
we're doing some really crazy things in order to to house our bread because everyone knows a bunch of cash is is a problem, you know, and especially when you're accountable for paying the taxes on that cash. And it's a real business. Your business relies on that cash. So, yeah, we 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 got we got creative, but you know, the thing that always kind of bothered me is that they wouldn't let you bank it, but you could drive the Federal Reserve what you owe in taxes. So you can give them a million dollars cash to pay your taxes, but then you got to go play hide and go seek with your money. It's mm -hmm. never made sense. So they, they, it was still taxable even though you couldn't bank it. Yeah, you can bring their cut to the bank. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. But you can't put yours in the bank, yeah. mm -hmm. which makes no sense. Yeah. And I think it's ultimately set up for people like ourselves to not be in position because people with real long bread, like people that are in big real estate or big uh, big bankers, they can they have the long money check-wise to pay rents and do things. When you're dealing with cash, landlords don't want to take cash. You know, you, you could pay payroll maybe with cash, but it gets difficult for everybody. So... Mm -hmm. Hopefully that banking comes through this year or next year and makes it easier for all the smaller operators that are still dealing with the stuff I had to deal with. Yeah, you, you came into the game and obviously since you started, there's been tons of changes. A lot more states have made you know marijuana legal. And so how have you managed with that? Because again, I think was it 16 states that have medical and, and recreational that are legal now, but there's, I'm sure there's more to come and maybe at some point during the process it'll be federally legal. So, so we're, we're, we're selling weed in, um, so we have 53 stores right now and 30 different markets across the world, right? Not just in the United States, but, you know, you got Canada, um, you got Europe, um, Israel, um, Australia is coming on deck. So there's a lot of, a lot of different moving parts, but, it, you know, as far as expansion, you just have to really pick your partners wisely for us, like, we just cherry pick our partners and we just try to find people that represent the brand properly. And we go to different markets and find people that are kind of already kind of set up and doing their thing. And we just, we just kind of partner with them and use the leverage of the brand to expand. That's how we expanded so fast. If you think about it, in three years, we opened up 53 stores. That's a lot. And that's been through partnerships. Yeah. So like in Miami, you partnered with Rose, right? No, in Miami, that's our first vertically integrated license. So in Miami, it's a limited license market. So I think it was like, I probably can't speak numbers, but it's in the. It's very high to get a license out there. So we had to buy our own license and build our own cultivation. They don't allow you to kind of just partner with people. Um, and other markets like, uh, like in um, Michigan, for instance, we had a great operator that we met that that wanted to grow cookies, genetics, and do a partnership on the storefronts. And so deals like that is how we did, how we elevated so fast without raising hundreds of millions of dollars. So let me ask you this: as far as for the entrepreneur that's listening, that's trying to get into the game, a lot of people are getting discouraged because they're saying that it's extremely difficult. State laws, each state law is different. Um, what are some of the things that they need to be prepared for if they're trying to get in? And how strenuous is it to get a, a license? Like, let's just say California, because that's where we're at right now. Like, what, what's the process to get a license in California? Well, California is a little, probably a little easier than other places. Um, my advice to anyone watching right now that wants to be in a cannabis business is, one, you have to start from the ground. You have to start from the ground and build your way up. You want to understand the business before you get in it. You want to get your foot in the door and kind of do what I did, be a sponge and soak game and figure out where you'd fit best. But as far as opening a store, getting a license, um, especially for the black and brown community, you know, there's there's a lot of social equity programs out there right now, and bigger operators are going to have to partner with social equity uh, to, be, to be able to open up, right? And so use that to your advantage, you know, kind of like, understand the laws in each city because each city has some kind of program for social equity and um, my advice is when you do that make sure you understand as much as you can about the business because there's a lot of predatory investors out there and that's probably the biggest downfall for the social equity program is you get given something but without any kind of bread to to build that or without any kind of knowledge you're going to get taken advantage of so you know be knowledgeable, do as much research as you can, and be passionate about it, and you'll find your place. You know, it. For me, even like I don't even really know how licenses work in certain markets. Like, 
I have I found a team that specializes in that. So don't be afraid to build your team up. You know, yeah. it takes a lot. I mean, cannabis is probably one of the toughest businesses in the world. Yeah, that was gonna be my next thing. Was like, obviously, you can't be in every state, but the stores can be in certain states. So from a legal standpoint, how big is the legal team? Do you have a legal team in each state? Because each state has different laws. Nah, we got, shout out to my lawyer, man. We got one in-house lawyer. I met him on the entertainment side and just gamed him up on cannabis throughout the years. He became our in-house counsel. And um, now nah, he just has to do his research in each state. And we work with, you know, whatever information's available to, to make sure we make the right moves. And when you're partnering with other peoples in other markets, they're gamed up on the on how things work there, on regulatory things, on packaging, or how things need to be handled in each market. So, but now nah, we got we got one lawyer. So you have your stores, but then you sell your product in other dispensaries, right? A little bit. So the way we start doing it, we really want to control the experience. Like when you go buy a cookies product, I think one of the cool things about us is the customer journey. You go into a store, you got someone that's with you. You've been to Melrose, right? Or have you guys been to a store? Who's watching? Yeah, <laughs> right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yes. of course, yeah. He's never been there, <laughs> but he's heard about it, so he can tell you how it works. Uh, but you know, you go in there, and the way I wanted to, I wanted to keep the proposition 215 days alive in recreational cannabis. I've seen so many big stores open up with just a TV screen with the menu there, and you're like, I got to pick off that. Nah, the way it works at Cookies is you come in. You got a bud tender that's with you when you walk in. They, they walk you around. They explain any any questions you have. They answer. They kind of show you what they recommend. And then you get sent off to a register to go purchase. So it's more of an intimate thing. It's more of the proposition two fifteen days. When I was in medical, I would talk to people about what they're going to buy, what they're looking for, what they like, what they don't like. So what we try to do now is instead of wholesaling to a bunch of stores, let's say we go to New York, for instance, right? If I put a cookies flagship right here, I kind of look at it like a Nike town, right? Then I'll pick across the state, different different areas that we're not in, I'll put a corner. We call it a cookies corner. So we hire our own employees to represent that corner. We merchandise it a certain way. And so that way, if you go into another store to buy our product, you're kind of still getting a similar experience that we control. So that's kind of the w approach we've taken now. We're not really wholesaling to everyone because we don't have to. Like, we want to control the experience. It's really about maintaining quality and integrity for our brand. So we have our flagships and we have our corners. And that's actually worked out really well. If you look at the recap of New Jersey last week, that was a corner. Mm. We broke every record in New Jersey, uh, you know, recreational cannabis with a corner. That wasn't even a full-on blue story. It was just a corner in there. Yeah. But we, it did what we wanted to do. The customers came in. The butt tenders gave them a certain experience. The product was there. They felt like they were in a cookie store, but it was really just a corner inside of a store. So it's pretty cool to see that. Yeah, I like that you brought up Nike Town and the fact that you brought up Diamond Supply and Supreme, like they just have cult followings. Yeah. And so part of the experience is like, if you ever go to a store, especially the one we've been to on Melrose, there's always a line. And people camp out when they hear it's a new strand. It reminds me of like a sneaker release or a new t-shirt release or, you know, some limited. How did you cultivate that? process right because who I've, you've never seen anything like this if you've never been to a store you understand what i'm talking about yeah i mean dude in uh in miami they slept there for four days before we opened up and if you think about miami it's <laughs> it's hot and humid as hell but what we've done is you know where it first started at, to get back to your question it was in cookies sf when we opened up the clothing store there was campers out there and i was like holy shit <laughs> people are camping out there it was it was probably about like 40 to 60 kids camping out there, and we pulled up with pizza and hot chocolate and a bunch of J's. I pulled up with pizza, hot chocolate, and I rolled up a bunch of J's, and I sat there and I just soaked it up. I smoked with the line, gave him some hot cocoa, it was hella cold at night, gave him some pizzas, and I was like, I think this is gonna be a thing. And when it transitioned to the cannabis stores, we just catered to them. I mean, in, uh, in, uh, in Michigan, we opened up a store, they put tents up, they had movie night. So the fools that camped out there had movies on the screens, <laughs> They have food. We we bring porta potties. Like we cater to them. We make sure they're safe. We make sure they're comfortable. And I think that in the Forbes interview, one of the campers actually gave his experience, which was cool. And he's like, "Man, it's it's a whole vibe." And so, the way I would compare it is like, and I say it was all due respect. It's similar to like the Grateful Dead movement. Like mm. these guys are along for the ride. They want to be a part of it. And Las Vegas was one of the craziest things. We opened up Las Vegas on the Strip. There was a tattoo parlor across the street and like probably like 70 to 100 kids got hit up, bro. They all got hit up. Cookies, cookies, cookies. Co I was like, man, this is wild. Um, but, you know, 
to have someone sleep in front of your store for more than two or three days to buy some weed legally when it's everywhere on the streets is the biggest compliment to your brand ever. So for your supply chain, you, you guys don't actually grow marijuana, right? We, so we do in Florida, okay. um, but for the most part, our supply chain consists of partnerships around the, around the country. So we'll find, you know, top and class operators that we feel like represent us, right? Represent our quality, have our best interests, and we'll have them cultivate on behalf of us. So um, why, why would you take that approach as opposed to just having farms in every regional or local area? See, uh, that's why I like this show because <laughs> you guys are really gamed up and we're giving people a lot of game and, and you know, they say game is... Anyways, so <laughs> the reason why I did that, bro, I'm still the majority owner of Cookies, right? Like, I still have a very high... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Putting in my business. And if I would have went the traditional route, like the other multi-state operators, I would have had to raise hundreds of millions of dollars that would have diluted me down. I'd be like, how you know, Steve Jobs owned one percent of, of Apple. That's that's cool, right? But the way I did it allowed me to partner with a bunch of people, get what I need to get done, which is national and global exposure, right? And it allowed me to actually go find a bunch of people that are currently operating and doing a great job with their own genetics. So I know that when I hand over my menu, they're going to kill it. They have to dial it in. But the reason why I did it like that, bro, is I didn't want to dilute my, my equity down. And I wanted to expand like that. Mm -hmm. If I'm competing with the people that have hundreds of millions of dollars, I have to think of a way to get this, to get this done without having to go raise hundreds of millions of dollars and without being brought down. Because when you get brought down, besides the equity, then you lose control. I'm a control freak. I'm hands-on with everything. So I think the way, the reason why we chose that route was three reasons. One, maintain equity. Two, expand faster. And three, for anyone out there watching, cultivation is one of the hardest things in the world, right? And the last thing you want to do is go put a bunch of money up and lose your ass. You, you know, we have, and it's, it's hard for me to say this, but I'm just going to be honest, we have the liberty to say, you're one of my cultivators, it's not it, brother. We ain't buying that. You can go ahead and repackage it under something else. Next batch comes around, we'll check it out. That saves us a lot of a lot of trouble on the QC thing. If you're growing it, you're stuck with it. Mm. No matter what, you got to figure out a way to move it. So it gave us a bunch of freedom in like making sure that we can maintain control of our business and keep the quality up. How do you manage the the licensing part when you're doing a partnership? So, for example, Gary Payton Strand, right? Obviously, his face is on it. How does that partnership work? Is I mean, another big Guy, so I'm, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. But how does that work? Yeah, there's different ways. We're still trying to dial that in. I mean, Gary Payton, it worked well. It was super organic. It popped off. Is probably one of the number one selling strains in North in in the U.S. for a long time, just on BDS. Like when you look at like what's the top selling weed, top selling weed in the U.S., Gary Payton was one of them for a long time. Um, but it's kind of like a like a royalty split almost like. Break down, break down like a little profit split with him, something like that, something that makes sense. So let's talk about like the ancillary things, edibles, this liquid marijuana, different things of that nature. Is that something that you are heavily involved in as far as going forward? You think that that's going to, just in general for the, for the space, you think that that's going to be big in the space or you think that's always going to be like just extra add-ons? You know, growing up in the medical space, one of the coolest things was like seeing Reese's peanut butter cups being medicated, seeing like a medicated lemonade, seeing like, you know, the, the hash and stuff like that. So it's always going to be a part of it. But I think what we do is focus on the customer now, not the customer in the future. A lot of these new operators like, wow, oh, let's see what was soccer moms like and <laughs> this and that. It's like, that's cool. But what, what do the weed heads want right now? Right. <laughs> and as things develop, we'll go ahead and cater them. So we focus on hash. We focus on having pens. We, we put out a, we have a really good tea coming out, like a really good tea uh, line coming out. Um, and so that, that's happening. But I try to focus on like, what do people like us want to go in and buy? Like, what do people right here, you know, filming us right now want to go buy after they get done with this? Like, let's focus on the customer right now. And that's what's kept us successful is like focusing on new menus, good flour, good hash, good rosin, and, you know, things like that. 
What about acquisition? Have you ever come across a strand and you're like, this is really good. This might be an opportunity for us to now maybe partner with them or just say we're going to acquire the strand to now put under the cookies umbrella. Yeah, so it wouldn't be like a it wouldn't be like a acquiring a strain, but what I do if you look at my um, if you look at the way I've done my business, cookies is almost like the league. It's almost like a platform. We're not a player, we're not a team, we're kinda like a platform, we're kinda like the league. So if I find some talented breeders, I'm like, All right, come on, come rock with us. We do a collaboration, we put their logo on the bags, we give them opportunity to expand to other markets, we give them that light so they can they can grow with us. You know, you see in the East Coast we got a couple of partners that are that are heavy out there. Um, you know, even our brand, our brand partnerships. We've got the Powers Up brand. We've got the Mince brand. These are great breeders, you know. Um, so we we kind of empower them and we bring them in with us. I look at it like, you look at a big producer. You know, they have a bunch of musicians around them that are working on that track, and the only difference is we give them their credit. You know, so it's it's cool. I like to empower people around me, and it kind of keeps it like um, it keeps us as a big homie almost like. Instead of just trying to be this one-off guy and just have our in-house breeding projects, like I like to work with a lot of breeders and it brings out crazy flavors. And it's ultimately best for the customers too. So let me ask you this, as far as the global expansion, Japan, uh, Dubai, Mexico, um, well, Dubai, can they even smoke weed in Dubai? Not yet, but I've been reached out to by some people out there that want to do cookies clothing. I think that would be the first okay, like little introduction, first, yeah. but... Yeah, Thailand's the next. Thailand, right? Thailand. Yeah, Israel's too. Israel as well? Israel's going right now, yeah. yeah okay. I, I, I was just talking about Thailand. I spent, I spent a good time, a good amount of time in Thailand a couple of years ago. It's like one of my favorite countries. But what was your vision for that, like to expand globally? And what's your plans to expand globally? Johnny Appleseed. I'm trying to go everywhere. It's going to be legal. I want to be everywhere. And my goal with, with global expansion is I seen a bunch. So during the 215 days, during the medical days, it was very pure. It was a community all working together to, to, to achieve something, right? As soon as it went legal, I saw a bunch of people getting in the game that really didn't really belong in the game. A bunch of people that had no fucking knowledge at all about cannabis or what it represents or what it really means and about quality or anything like that. So my goal from that point on was like, okay, I got I to gotta push myself next to the bigger players and, and set a standard and set a tone of what quality cannabis and what culture really feels like, right? And we've shaken some shit up. Like, by us going to every market that these bigger partners are going into or bigger players are going into, it's kind of made them have to go work with people from California. Go find themselves some breeders. Go find themselves someone to, you know, like me or you to represent their company, bring the culture. So, you know, my my goal with uh, global expansion is to, to, to set the tone, set the standard that you have to deal with us. We want to keep people from the game in the game. And so I want to go everywhere as illegal, and I want to be the, one of the first markets, and I want to... I want to set the tone there so other other people have to step it up. Yeah. As you go global, more eyes will be on you. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people with a lot of money that are saying, hey, we want to buy into this brand or maybe we want to acquire the brand, acquire the brand. How has that been? Because I'm sure it's happened. Um, and how have you, I mean, you haven't said yes to it yet. So why? I'm too obsessed with it. You know, like. Of course I want a big payday one day. Because let's be honest, I'm not making money off cannabis like that right now. My wealth is from music and from clothing and from just moving and shaking, right? Like the actual weed industry is hard to make money in. So of course I want a big payday one day, but I love what I do so much. I, I, get, I get high off bringing them crowds out around the world. I get high off going to somewhere like Miami where there was trash weed, talking about mold-infested greenhouse, right? And by us entering that market, those operators have to go buy indoors and have to go find people from our area to operate those. I get high off that. I'm making people have to change their whole business model. So until something that comes that makes sense for us, that leaves the control until I go, and even maybe even leaves the control, I always tell my little daughter, I'm like, you're about to be a CEO of Cookies when, when the time comes. So I want to keep this as a family business. It's kind of attractive to me. Like, look at some of these big liquor companies that are still private, and it passes on generation to generation. My daughter's watched me work this brand since she was a baby, and she understands what I represent morally, and that it's more than just the weed or the money. We're actually connecting people all around the world. That's why I really like what we do. It really unifies people. Like, you can see how much people love weed and how people really come together over the weed. And so, I think she gets it at 15 years old. And so, I would love to to keep cookies private and pass it on to her. If someone comes with a check one day that makes sense and they allow the control to stay in our hands. I might be okay with it, but 
It doesn't work like that most times. People buy you because they're scared of you. Mm. That's so, my thoughts. So you said something. You said uh, you don't really make a lot of money off of marijuana. We, and you said it's not a profitable business. Can you break that down and explain why? Yeah, laws like 280E. I mean, 280E does not allow you to write off your expenses, meaning like your light bills, your employees, anything that has to do with operating a business, you can't write it off. It's crazy as hell. That's so, a federal law? I'm not sure if it's federal. I don't want, I'm not okay. sure if it's federal, but it's a law that's there for cannabis. And it was actually created off of some crazy, crazy situation back in like the 90s. But yeah, that, that law does not allow you to profit off cannabis. I think, I think everyone's hopes is that they build something so strong that when it goes federal, they get a chance to be acquired or, you know, maybe the NASDAQ opens up or something like that. So my whole thing with cookies is like, keep it hot, keep it relevant, keep it true to what we represent. And, Whatever is supposed to happen will happen. So you can't get any deductions like that regular business owners would get? No. Is there a special tax for marijuana? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the taxes around the weed... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply is just all around terrible for everyone, for cultivators, for operators, for the customer. You go and buy weed in California, you're paying 30% tax. Why is that? Why? Why are they doing that? What? You go buy a bottle, a bottle of liquor, you buy a bottle of water, you buy some food. What is it, like 8% tax or something like that? 8.75, something like 8. that. 8.75? Yeah. Why is weed 30%? Makes no sense. So everyone from the consumer, the operators are getting screwed on weed taxes. And if they're going to take 30% tax, that should go back into the social equity program. If you're going to award someone a license that's been affected by the drug war or that, you know, that, that, that needs opportunity or deserves opportunity to be in cannabis, then that 30% tax should go into a fund that not only do you get a social equity license, but you get a check with it. That would make sense to me. Mm -hmm. That would probably make sense to the consumer as well. So taxes are all around for cannabis or pretty bad. Yeah, speaking of social equity, I mean, knowing what you know, do you ever feel, I need to give this game back? Obviously, we've seen a lot of people have been locked up for marijuana, right? And now marijuana is legal, so it's an entendre that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Are you creating programs or do you f see yourself creating programs to actually give the information to how to get into this? Already on it, my boy. So, look, we do what we had, we do what's available for social equity, like our partner, Sean Richards in, in San Francisco, put them on with the store, funded it, gave him a great opportunity. People from the game like Branson and Harlem, we partnered with him. We're working to launch triangle bags all around the world. But the one thing that we did I'm super proud of is called Cookies U. It's a university program in Humboldt where we do everything from A to Z. We offer minorities the opportunity to come learn the business from A to Z, live on the property for free in tiny homes that we bought and built. And, um, and we also compensate them if, let's say that they have bills or things they have to handle while they're gone. We kind of make sure that they're not just leaving everything they have to come do this, uh, do this program. So we are giving opportun opportunities to minorities to learn the business from A to Z, to either land a job with us, land a job somewhere else, or go build their own brand. That's something that we wanted to do. I'm super proud of my team for doing that because knowledge is key. And that's the one thing missing right now. You can give someone uh, a key to an apartment, but if you don't got furniture or you don't got the money to... To, to, to furnish it, then what are you really doing, right? So like, we're just trying to give people knowledge so when they do get a get an opportunity in the business, they're all the way gamed up. They know everything from A to Z, then go in there with all the knowledge they, they need to, to get it moving and shaking. So Cookies University is super important to me and uh, we're actually gonna put that in other, other states as well. So Florida will probably get a Cookies U. We're gonna do one in New York. We're opening up uh, a clothing store in Harold Square, right across the street from Macy's. Macy's, 34th, big time. And, but the top two floors are going to be Cookie Zoo. We're going to teach everyone in New York compliance and all the things that we can teach without the plants there. So we're giving people knowledge, man. And like, that's, that's, I feel really good about that. You said tiny homes. And so it made me think real estate. We actually invested in a tiny home. And so now I'm thinking about the stores. 
when you put these locations, I know you said 53, is it a real estate play as well? Are you, are you getting it or are we leasing it? Or is that part of the plan going forward? You know, the way we did it was, so part of the stores are under a partnership we have called Cookies Retail Expansion, which we own a, a piece of it, right? So some of the stores, there's a little bit of real estate play, but I think the, one of the moves we made was we, we put a purchase option on the store. So let's say you have a store in Colorado, right? And I partnered with you in Colorado. Um, we take a very small rip off your business. We'd empower you. You'd probably reap the benefits all the way up until there's time for a bigger play. But if we want to roll things up, then we have the purchase option. So let's just say it ever goes public uh, on the NASDAQ, if that's ever an option for us, then we could probably raise money pretty, you know, pretty cheaply like that, and we can purchase our stores with stock. And so it's kind of a real estate play, but not really. We don't own the real estate for most of the stores. Some of them we have a little piece of, but that wasn't really the focus. The focus was expand as fast as we can, put that purchase option because it's going to come in super clutch later. Mm -hmm. That's when the, that's when <laughs> that's when they're going to be like, oh, that fool wasn't playing because that's super important, you know. Yeah. So you started in the medical side, then transitioned to the recreational side. What's your thoughts on the medical? Like, do you do you want to go back and focus more on the medical? Is there opportunities on the medical side that you see in, in the future? Yeah, you know, no matter how recreational it is, it's always a medicine. That's why I still do this to this day because it's a very stressful business. It's it's a lot of politics, a lot of pressure. The only thing I would probably want to do on the medical side, um, I met this kid named King recently. He's eight years old. He's had cancer since he's been two. He's been a, a, a patient for medical marijuana since he's been two. And um, before I did chemotherapy for my cancer, he gave me all the inspiration I needed to to go do that. I was scared as hell. You know, I watched my mom die from cancer, and I've, I've watched uh, many other family members and friends suffer from cancer. And so I just keep thinking about him and the fact that he's been on a medical marijuana program since he was two. And people forget how much of a medicine this is, especially for children going through things like that. So the only thing I would want to focus on on the medical side is a way to properly take care of kids suffering from cancer, like with the RSO and, and you know, different type of um, medicines they use from cannabis like I really want to kind of like shed a little light on that because you know it helps with seizures it helps with a bunch of other things but that kid always pops in my mind when I think about the medical side of things you know there's medical markets still they'll all eventually go wreck but I do want to focus on like medical programs for kids um, that really really need this because it's changed his life and he's still here and I seen him at the New Jersey opening and I seen someone in the comments say, like, why is there a kid there at that store? He's there because he needs that. And it's actually got him to where he's at right now. And um, I, I want to focus on that a little more. So he, how old is he? Eight. So they for a ch they smoke? He smokes? Nah, he just ingests it. Okay. Yeah, probably the tinctures. What is it? Tinctures. What's that? It's like a way to extract cannabis and CBD and you just kind of like, it's like a liquid you just put okay. on your tongue. Mm. So... I wanted to ask you about your own situation as far as, um, you know, battling with cancer. Um, first of all, glad that you are on, is it, are you on the other side of it? Yeah. Okay. Right now, yeah. Thank God. Um, was the, the medical marijuana part of your treatment that you did for yourself? Or? Yeah, it was full circle for me because I remember being a kid and taking care of cancer patients at the hemp center. And if it wasn't for the herb, I wouldn't probably look like this right now. Chemo was was really rough, and you know I had stage three colon cancer, and um, the one of the biggest effects on chemo is the nausea, right? Like you're so nauseous, I would look at my dad in the kitchen and want to throw up just thinking about him making food. You can't even picture eating food. It was I can't describe the kind of nausea it was. It was nausea I've never even I just can't even describe it how bad it was. It, you can't even picture eating food, but I kept the joint in my hand and I kept a, a ginger lemon tea in my other hand and I would sip the tea, I'd smoke the joint, and that's why my tolerance is super up right now. I probably smoked more cannabis during cancer than I've ever smoked in my life and I was able to keep my weight on and uh, I was able to eat food and, and, and actually sleep because, man, some of the effects from that chemotherapy, you're really killing all the good cells in your body alongside with the bad cells in your body. So. It allowed me to sleep and it allowed me to eat. So it's very full circle for me. Like I started off in medical 
end up going into recreational, end up getting cancer. And did cannabis save my life? No, the universe did, right? Surgery and chemotherapy did, but cannabis helped me through chemotherapy. I bounced back pretty quick. After chemo, they said, yo, you ain't gonna really be able to move around for about six months. I was out in like a month. I was out shaking and moving fast. So I think that really helped me a lot. So you, uh, you said something earlier about your daughter being the, the CEO at some point. I hope. Right? And so as a parent, I used to teach health, and so I had middle school kids, and by the time I was telling them about marijuana and the effects, they have already been introduced to it. And so is there a balance there where it's the business and trying to separate them from actually using the product? Or, I mean, when does that get introduced? Yeah, she's 15. She hasn't used it yet. I've asked her. I stay on her head because I know she's in high school. She's Bernard's right. daughter. I'm sure people ask her about it. But she, I think she's grown up seeing it, and she's not really so intrigued by it. But the one thing I do tell her is that it's not about the business. It's not about the way it makes you feel. It's about what we do for people. I really show her like what we do for people. We really bring people together from all over the all, all around the world together with this, right? Like I tell her how important it is for for people in general, right? And uh, I think she's I think it's resonated with her at this age. You know, when she tries it, I'll know cuz I'm very close to my daughter, yeah. you know, we talk a lot and um but I'm not going to condone it at this age. You know, I was doing wild things at her age. I'm so proud of her. She's straight A student. She plays sports. She's she's on she's on her thing. You know, she's she's doing good. But I educate her about how important what we do is for the world and for people, right? And like that's what I and I think she understands it. Yeah, I, I grew up with a, a smoker in the house. Yeah, and same thing. I hate I saw it so much that by the time I was of it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline could do it. I was like, I hate it. I, I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know I mean, so I, I and I, I've been respectful, man. I love my kids. I'm, I'm a family man. I'm a father first, so I'm not just blazing out the house. You know, I, <laughs> I step outside. I go to my little man cave. I, I don't just put it all in her face, but you know, when she was a little baby, she'd come see me at the dispensary. You know, she she remembers those things. You yeah. know, so yeah. So it feels like the political side is going to be extremely important to the future of marijuana mm-hmm. because you know the politicians kind of can make they make the rules right on yeah. a state level and on the federal level so i'm assuming that lobbying is extremely important i'm assuming that there's a marijuana lobby in washington are you part of that are you part of a political action committee for the for the nah, but i, I want to be really bad i feel like until i see guys like myself that has been doing this for 20 years in a room with people like chuck schumer and these guys trying to introduce bills that they're not probably going to be introduced properly going to be introduced. I feel like they need to understand what operators need, what what consumers need, and we can figure out what they need. Look, they want to make money just like everyone else, right? There's ways that they can regulate this that are beneficial to the operator as well. When you go buy a bottle of liquor, did you know that the tax is already included in when you buy it? Like, the, you know how they have that crazy-ass tax on flour, on mm-hmm. herb? Mm-hmm. They have a crazy tax on alcohol, too, but it's already baked into that purchase, so the consumer's not getting hit, right? So, like, I just feel like until there's actual real cannabis operators like myself in the room with them, they won't really truly understand what the issues are of legal cannabis right now. So hopefully platforms like this, platforms like Forbes, will have them take me seriously. We can get in there, and as a cannabis operator for 20 years, I can explain to them, here's the struggles right now with operators currently. Right. Here's the struggles with consumers right now, because a consumer doesn't want to go buy a seventy five dollar eighth in the store and then go get on the streets for twenty five bucks. How do we make it to where it's fair for everyone? How do we make it to where shopping in a store is desirable to people where they can get affordable weed and the operators aren't taking a hit on the chin and the cultivators aren't taking a hit on the chin and you guys are still making bread? There's a way to do it. So I'm speaking into existence. Someone bring me the damn White House and let me talk to somebody, mm-hmm. please. What is what is someone in case some Chuck Schumer's watching, or is, what is the some of the ways that you think it could be improved? The whole experience could be improved. Just the taxes have to make sense for the operators. The taxes have to make sense for the consumers. They're just right now. They're just experimenting, and it's not working. So let's just address the real issues and 
let's figure out a way for you guys to monetize this properly, but to incentivize operators to keep going. Let's incentivize customers to actually really shop in stores. No shade on the black market it is what it is. There's always going to be people with heady grows and growing, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But I think that just they have to understand what's going wrong right now from an actual operator. Yeah, I mean, it's a $72 billion industry. Yeah. For a country that faces deficits, it seems like a no-brainer. It could help a lot in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Because when you talk about the black market, it's like, yeah, most people probably still get weed from their local weed dealer, not from dispensaries. Mm -hmm. But at some point, like, people stopped buying alcohol from people that was, like, selling alcohol. Like, and they just started and just became regular. Like with like Nobody buys alcohol from Yeah, you're not going to go hit the home <laughs> and be like, yo, bro, let me get a <laughs> bottle of whiskey real quick. Man, I know you got the barrel downstairs, but, you know, it's going to normalize eventually. You're right. Like, as people grow older and they see these stores, it will normalize the read, but, but it's our job. Like someone like my job is to keep that menu interesting so people have to go to the store. Like the stuff I'm dropping in our stores are not on the streets right now. That's the only way to do it. Otherwise, why would someone go pay more? All right, so it's up to us to keep it interesting, but it's also up, up to the government to make it fair for everyone. Is, is, there, is there a product in the industry that you haven't tapped? I know you said you got the tea, but is there something on the forefront that you can see like, hey, this could be a new wave. I know like we had a few years ago, I hadn't seen this, but they had like fruit punch. And um, a couple of friends of ours um, were drinking fruit. I'm like, what is this? And they're like, oh, we went to Cookies and got this, this juice. I'm like, and Baron Davis gave us some. Um, yeah, it was like, it, oh, this, it, that's what What was that? That was like a liquid. Yeah, it was the more of the, the fruit punch. Okay. Yeah, friends, we got crazy friends. Shout out to BJ. <laughs> <laughs> Did you drink it? Uh, I didn't drink it. Uh, nah. Gary, I've done the Gary Payton before, but yeah. the liquid, when I saw the reaction from them, I said, the liquid, it was like started hallucinating. It was weird. See me, like, I don't, Thanks for throwing them under the bus. I don't, I don't smoke, right? I never smoke, but I don't have nothing against it. I just don't smoke. Smoking is cool. It seems like it mellows you out. Edibles and this liquid, I see the reaction from people. I've taken many rappers to the hospital off edibles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's a body high, bro. It makes yeah. your heart beat. You feel, you hear, you remember Friday when you heard his heartbeat? That's what happens off of edible. Yeah, yeah. I, I compare it's it to scary. a roller coaster that never feels like it's coming down. Yeah, it doesn't stop. I've I've talked many people through major <laughs> panic attacks, and we've actually driven people physically to, to the hospital, hospital off, yeah. off edibles. The only thing that's on tap, because you can infuse anything, right? Like, the only thing I'm interested in, I've been talking to this guy that has an inhaler, right, mm. that instantly brings you down. It's a THCV. I think it's THCV. There's a certain type of THC and CBD combination that, like, let's say we're smoking right now and you're not really used to blowing the type of shit I smoke on and you just felt a little panicky, just bring you right back down to reality. I think that's interesting as social clubs start yeah. opening up because a lot of people can handle the pack. Some yeah. people hit the pack and start tripping out. Yeah. You know, so that's one thing I'm interested in because it's gonna, it's not out yet and I think that... A lot of people are like, oh, I don't like the new weed these days. Like a lot of OGs, like, I miss that older stuff. And so if an OG comes in contact with something their body can't handle, <laughs> they can just and bounce right back down. That's interesting to me. It's like I, the, the EpiPen of marijuana. Th that is the EpiPen of weed. That's a good idea. Yeah. Great idea. Brings you back to the ground. Yeah. Me, I want to I get involved in that. So when we open up social clubs, if someone takes a dab or someone smokes a joint, they're just, I see it in their eyes that they're about to run out the room and start questioning life. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> You're back now? All right. Take a piece of bread. Here's some peanut butter. Enjoy. So that's the only thing I'm interested in right now outside of like what we're... Yeah, I was, so I was thinking like, not that, but that's a great idea, but like social clubs, uh, cookies, restaurants, things like that. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing some really cool stuff. I can't speak about it, but we're doing some really cool stuff around like lounges and food and stuff like that. There's there's going to be some announcements coming like next year that you guys are going to be like, ah, yeah. yeah. Weed festival. Right. Is there a weed festival? Um, kind of. That's a good idea. Kind I know of. they do one in uh, Denver. There's they do them. Um, they just the way they do it is like you have the music right here, and then the weed will be over here, and it's mm. just not it's tight. Not, yeah. It should all be in one area. One vibe. I want to be able to shop while I listen to music. That's a good idea. Rolling Loud sounds like the great title for it. Rolling Loud, yeah. It had nothing to do with weed yeah, though. No, but but that, that is a good title. title. That is a good title. They're on to something. <laughs> well, I get really high at Rolling Loud when I when I See? perform there. I'm so, sure yeah. plenty plenty of artists do as well. Yeah. well. Let me ask you this before we wrap. 
you've also done a great job of branding yourself personally. Like there's a lot of people that have businesses that nobody actually knows who's the CEO, who runs the business, but you are, you've become a rock star in business and you've become the face of the industry. Talk about that. Like at what point and what's your plan for your own personal brand? Like outside of cookies, like you've become a brand within, within itself. I like having a good name. Not many people cause that some business with me can say bad things about me. I carry good energy. I care about people. I have a good heart. I've done right by a lot of people and I work hard and I like having a good name. And so for that, for that reason, I think that my name is kind of become a brand and I do a lot of networking. I just work nonstop, 24 seven, I'm working. I'm always thinking about the next move. And so my my future plans is to, to get cookies where I want it and to dive into film. I'm really into film right now. I think the Bay Area has a very untapped uh, story. There's a lot of crime stories out the Bay Area that need to be told. Um, I'm in the documentaries. I'm just in the film in general. So that's what I plan on doing with my brand. Um, you know, just trying to tap into that. But I've, it feels good to have a good name because there are some people out there that are not really liked, that are in the similar position I'm in. And so the fact that people like me, it feels good. And I just want to kind of keep that, you know. But my goal is to be like, dog, man, Snoop got the household name, bro. Everybody loves Snoop Dogg, mm -hmm. man. He could do anything and it's never wrong because he's built himself to that. So. When I look up to like role models, when it comes to like household names, that's my role model. Shout out to Snoop. Shout out to Snoop. What, was, what would Snoop do? Good question. Roll up. At all times. Man, he will roll up. At all that's times. Yeah. At some point, Earn Your Leisure will have a strand. And so I'm sure collaboration. The, the EYL pack. Over California Cologne. Never we, forget. We, we, we can't cool talk water. about that. We, we, cool water. Cool water, yeah. Well, cool did, water. that trademark? Yeah, we trade on. Cali Cologne. <laughs> That's my idea. It's a good name. California Cologne. Cali Cali Cologne. Cali Cologne. Yeah. Cali Cologne. We trademarked it. Very important. Yeah. With the EYL stamp. I mean, stamp. every time you get on the airplane, they know what time it is if you're leaving California. They smell it. Well, just yeah. think about it. Yeah, it's, it's cologne at that point, it's right? Just a thought. Like, it's, a thought. It's, it's a fragrance that many people can identify with. Yes. This guys yeah. are always thinking on this side. Cali Cologne. That's what happens when you're an entrepreneur, you're a business. <laughs> you know, you kind of plan the next steps, you know? Yeah. That's, that's the goal right there, for sure. I don't have the smoke to appreciate it. I will test it for us. Yeah. We'll test I'll... it together. Yeah. <laughs> the, the shit I got in my bag, you don't want to miss out on that. <laughs> it, tastes, it tastes like heaven. <laughs> it tastes sure. like heaven. Yeah. A slice out of heaven. There's, yeah. al there's always a, a new, new day and a new experience. Yes. So. yes. And, and maybe we could find that little EpiPen of weed for you. So that way, we'll have that. You, go on, that a, you go on a mental roller coaster, <laughs> yes. we'll bring you right back down to earth. You yes. know, that's, that's why I got to get, that's why I want to get it. The plane is landing. Yes. Yeah. That's extremely important for me. For sure. I got I'll, your I'll, back, man. I'll, I'll be like back. Ice Cube in uh, Friday. No, you'd be like Smokey in Friday. Oh, Smokey in the chicken coop, but then they're Ice Cube. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a good strain name, Chicken Coop. Oh, Coming up some good ideas here. Yeah. Lex, let's take that part out. We're going to trademark that. Uh, right, right. <laughs> Got to keep your trademark attorney on deck. Exactly. At exactly. all times. For sure. Well, I appreciate you, my brother. Continued success. Thank you. Um, this was dope. I'm sure people are going to get a lot of information from this, man. Man, we're here to share the game. Thank you. Burner, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That was dope, bro. Right on. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Hey, it's Troy and Rashad from Assets Over Liabilities. This episode's word, net worth. This is the Asset Journal, brought to you by Ally. Net worth is the value of the assets a person or corporation owns, minus the liabilities they owe. It is an important metric to gauge a company's health, providing a useful snapshot of its current financial position. Net worth is your assets minus your liabilities. It's not about how much you make, it's about how much you keep. Only here on Revolt. Uh, I can smell it now. 
Ah. Got Cali Cologne. Cali Cologne, huh? Cali Cologne. That's that, that's that real cool water, huh? <laughs> Y'all used to rock cool water back in the days? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I appreciate you boys. All right, bro. I'm gonna slide back to the bay. Yo, pleasure, man. Safe as soon as you guys got promo assets sending my way, yeah. right, I, want, I want people to watch this for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna happen. Will do, bro. Hey, as soon as you get back in your car, do what I'm about to do, man. Roll up. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. We got a we got a special pack coming. Real big pack. What? It's called legendary. Yeah, <laughs>